Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and you already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Babo, you know that you can get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. All right, a big, excited welcome to the very first Giant Size Heroes. Giant Size number one of Collider Heroes. As Corey and I have been very excitedly talking about it, that means we got Storm, we got Nightcrawler, <laughs> we got Banshee. Uh, yeah, this is our first sort of extended edition for all the stuff that does not fit into the regular weekly edition of Heroes. We can lean into comics more. We can lean into, like, the, the subject matter. We actually have time to talk about. Like, for example, I got an Uncanny X-Men number 95 and 96 on Free Comic Book you Day. Didn't. They weren't free. But tying into our giant size X-Men, I have the third appearance of Storm and Nightcrawler and all of no. them. That is how I kicked off New Comic Book Day. That's amazing. I found them no in- one's ever selling those. Seven 7.5s. They're gorgeous. Staggering. So that's an example of what we can do in this podcast. Okay, folks at home, those are two of the very first issues of the expanded lineup X-Men, the most famous lineup, the one that Chris Claremont does coming right out of Giant Size X-Men number one. And they are pretty scarce because it was taking time for that book to become the hit that it would be. Uh, And those are fantastic finds. So yeah, uh, news item number one, Free Comic Book Day was last weekend. Koya's showing me pictures, which I can't share with you, and I feel bad about that, but also, oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> Free Comic Book Day was this weekend. It was a huge success for my shop. I'm guessing shops everywhere. It has become an institution. I love it very, very much. Uh, seeing kids in on Free Comic Book Day is enough to sort of get you juiced up for the year to come. Yeah. Now, also with this, uh, this is airing uh, Thursdays. We're going to have a consistent Thursday for you guys. So we'll be able to talk about the things that overlap from our Tuesday show, which is going to be dropping. And we'll be able to cover, like, think of it as like the last last week tonight is how Amy and I were t- <laughs> talking about it, which is exciting. We are exactly as funny as John Oliver. <laughs> Claiming that British charm for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just now in this moment, there was a drop of a Mysterio clip on Ellen where Mysterio claims to be from Earth 833. What? Literally just happened. That is how deep cut they're Coy, going with that 
I actually don't know. I'm looking look it up, up right look now. It up. Oh, look at that. No video. You guys don't even see me Googling. So we did, we talked on Collider Heroes this week about that Spider-Man Far From Home trailer, which is a very exciting trailer. Uh, Adam brought up the wonderful point that, that it is weird to sort of end, it would have made more sense to have Endgame really be a capper and lead off with Spidey. This is one of those cases where production realities just meant that, like, that's not what's going to happen. Sony needs to make Spider-Man movies. And I think it's all working out pretty well. I'm pretty happy about it. Did you look it up? Are you ready for this? Yes. Home of Spider-Man UK. The Braddock Universe. Spidey no. UK is 833. No, they said Agent Braddock in Endgame. They did. Oh, that's huge. That's insane. So we might be getting... And the remember Siege the, Perilous. You remember the rumors two years ago about uh, Captain Britain being in the Marvel Universe? We were like, why would Captain Britain be there? And we talked about how international the Spider-Man movies were becoming. They can't do that in a Spider-Man movie, can they? They can do anything. They can do anything. So Earth 833 is, according to the Ellen clip, which I haven't watched yet because we're live, but that is the clip, <laughs> uh, is... That world. So, guys, I'm excited to have this podcast. We're we can talk st- about we stuff. We don't have time. Mysterio is probably lying, but uh, I am now very curious whether there is both truth and lie in that comment. I think he's from our Earth, but other Earth exists. So let's go ahead and talk about upcoming movies because we did get a very exciting, if you are a movie nerd right now, uh, New slate of dates. This is a weird time that we live in where we're sort of like, who's your favorite character? What's your favorite unclaimed release date from three years in the future? (laughs) Uh, And what we found out this week is someone got a screenshot of something. Which was a like for a several year layout for Disney's film release plans, and it included a lot of information such as New Mutants is apparently getting kicked into 2020. Mm-hmm. Will that movie come out? I guess it looks now like it will, but uh, we have thought that before. I'm not sure what the status there is. Uh, everyone observed uh, different big takeaways from that slate were uh, the Fox movies slowly disappearing from the list. Uh, a lot of upcoming Disney, a surprising amount of Disney live action upcoming, and then a whole bunch of dates. So here are the dates as of recording this on Tuesday uh, (laughs) that look like they are ready for new Marvel movies. For the rest of 2019, we obviously don't have one of those. In 2020, we get untitled... Well, we get New Mutants on April 3rd, supposedly. Hmm. Uh... We get Untitled Marvel on May 1st, 2020. It is the first of two Untitled Marvel Untitled Marvels for 2020. The other one drops on November 6th. Koi, who do you have for those two slots? Uh, May, I have... Uh, November, I have Doctor Strange. Oh, really? Doctor Strange, I would have said Widow and Eternals in some order. Oh, yeah, 2020. I'm thinking way in the future. I'm going to think Widow, Summer, and Eternals, November. Okay. That's that's what I'm going to go with. The the familiar thing and the unfamiliar launch in the fall, the way they put the Doctor Strange slot. Blockbuster film, it's a spy film, Eternals being a strange, like more of a family, like what is happening? Uh, we will see about that one. 2021, we officially re-arrive at the three movies a year Marvel schedule. We've got an untitled Marvel on February 12th, 2021. That would be that uh, very successful Deadpool slash Black Panther slot. Black Panther 2. I hope so. Uh, we've got Untitled Marvel on May 7th, 2021. Ooh, I have no idea what a summer release that we don't know yet is. Guardians 3? Yes. Is there time? No, no, because Suicide Squad. Oh, good point. He's, he's filming a movie. Okay, hold on. So we also have November 5th, 2021, Untitled Marvel. V for Vendetta 2. <laughs> remember, remember the 5th. I don't know. <laughs> 
So three Marvel movies in 2021, three more Marvel movies in 2022, back in that February, May, and this time July, uh, as opposed to November slot. May 2022, I'm putting on Guardians. Uh... That sounds legit to me. Although it's also got the July 29th slot, which seems like a good oh, guardian. that's so tricky. <laughs> what a great problem. We don't know. We're just making things up. Um, so we, But we do know here are the projects that need homes that go with those dates. We know Shang-Chi is supposed to be coming. We know Black Widow and the Eternals. We know mm-hmm. Guardians 3. Uh, we know Black Panther 2. We strongly suspect Captain Marvel 2 on account of a billion dollars. Right. Uh, and we pretty much know Doctor Strange 2, right? Those are all things that have had some level of confirmation. That's fair. We're also expecting we're expecting surprises. We're expecting changes of plan. Marvel likes to announce a big thing but leave themselves open. Uh, we had, you know, the 2014 big announcement slate saw several significant changes, uh, although the bulk of it happened as planned. So I would expect the same thing with this. Several significant changes, but the bulk of it happening as planned. And I would love if these stay untitled. For how long? Until the year they're coming out. No way. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen. Okay. I just I don't want Comic-Con this year to be like, here's your phase four. I don't want it. Yeah. I, Even I, if it contains uh, some secret info that they will by that time have ready about how the X-Men and FF are or aren't coming in so we can all start setting our expectations. Can you imagine if we wake up one day and that year we're getting an FF movie? How much cooler that would be than waiting three years for an FF movie? Okay, Marvel's going to Beyonce us. Uh... Uh, but right? Like, I'd love some lemonade to just happen at me. Like, I would love <laughs> if all of a sudden we're sitting in a, in a theater and then there's an announcement and we come out of the theater and go, it's coming out in three months. Like, can you imagine? Then only Marvel can do that. They can secretly shoot a thing. We didn't know anything about Endgame. They can secretly shoot a whole movie. Give me John Krasinski and Emily Blunt as a surprise. Mind. You're blowing my mind right No now. Comic-Con announcement. No D23. Just give me it that year. I mean, you do have to tell us what's happening next year. Maybe at least a year ahead. Why? It's going to make the money. (laughs) But that's the old school of thought, right? Why do we need to tell a year ahead? It's going to make the money. I want our job to be more exciting. It is fun to wake up with surprises. I'm I'm, I'm cycling it in my head. No, I want the grand plan. I like the grand plan. You're kind of selling me on surprise. Next year, we know we're getting Black Widow and Eternals. I would love. We, we strongly suspect. We're all but certain. But uh, how much cooler would it be to be like, it's 2019, 2020. What, it's 2020. What's coming this year? I don't know. That'd be way more exciting. That would be really fun. And it's never happened because they always have event movies be too big that they can't not build up and to. And part it. of the point is that it has never been possible. But uh, our ideas about what is possible are radically shifting. Disney Plus is this year and we don't know what those shows are like. We know what they are, but we don't know what they're going to be like at all because of how Endgame ended. And that's a magic time. It is fun. More surprises. Things. Uh, can, can we talk about shifting possibilities in terms of, uh, let's say, how fast a movie can make $2 billion? Uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good thing to talk about because, good God, in two <laughs> weeks, $2 billion, folks. Marvel, in 11 days, cleared the $2 billion mark within game. And that is that took Avatar 47 days, and it's done it in 11. Now, I tweeted something that got a little bit more traction than I liked it to because I, I didn't mean for it to be tactless. I said it took... 
Marvel 11 days for what Avatar did in 47, and it took Marvel 11 years what it did for Star Wars in 38. Oh, did people take it as They took it as me jabbing at the other two. All I was trying to say was, look at how amazing this franchise is, not those other ones suck. (laughs) But I was just saying, like, Star Wars is an American standard. Star Wars is a global standard. Star Wars is a genre in itself, Mm -hmm. and Marvel did a $2 million accomplishment last year, and then this year followed it up with another one. I wasn't trying to attack Star Wars, which is dangerous on the internet. I was trying to just say, like, wow, Marvel's built this amazing franchise. So $2 billion in 11 days, I think it's going to be the first to clear three. I think it's going to pass Avatar. I think it's going to pass Avatar. I'm very curious, especially if, you know, slowly theaters have to start also playing other movies. Eventually. They have to. Uh, Detective Pichu is great. Is it? I liked it a lot. It's really fun and cute. That can be in three houses, and then you can have Avengers in seven, and then the other movies can share the other four. I do think they're, you know, we're going to see this repeat business continue. We're going to see people want to go back and catch more stuff. Uh, It's that rare kind of theatrical event that we don't get so many of anymore. It's been interesting because I have never seen sort of – this was a very intense spoiler cycle for the movie. But, you know, as we got the – the Russos gave their official blessing to start talking about movie contents. Mm -hmm. Um, And – it's been interesting to see, like, how quickly – it's cycled through sort of TV quickly. Like, we are accustomed to uh, – you know, at various times, people have tried to establish standards for spoilers. And it's usually something like, you know, uh, a week for TV, two weeks for movies, something like that, all of that. Uh, you know, none of it is ever universally accepted because we can't even agree on what a spoiler is. Yeah. Um, generally, it's just an attempt – to be kind to each other. And it's very difficult to pin those down with exact facts and figures. But the Russos said that the spoiler thing is up for Endgame. And I have rarely had one where it felt like we are probably okay. Like, I've been trying to be careful because typically with movies, you know, people in other parts of the world aren't getting to see them for five months. Yeah. You know, we had a thing where Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I had a friend in Japan who was just like, I will get to see this in, like, April. Uh, it's the worst. Uh, and it it has been interesting to see truly a global event that, like, in a good way turned movies into TV? Because for two weeks on Twitter, it was it, there were trolls, but the average moviegoer was respectful. And that is is unheard of. Like, since Twitter Cheers started. Cheers to you, Internet. You actually did surprisingly well on this thing. I was ve- other than people being aggressively mean, no one was accidentally mean, and no one was neutral mean. There was only chaotic mean. And I liked that. <laughs> like, it kept the balance. The scales were just. And that helped the $2 billion happen. People wanted to have the experience. People wanted to have the surprise. It almost sells my surprise movie a year thing even better doesn't it imagine watching a movie and having the trailer actually surprise you again how good would that feel i would love to have a trailer surprise me yeah people who aren't us get to have that because they aren't reading the movie slates and trying obsessively to guess which (laughs) as yet unannounced movie ideas are in there uh but you're you are correct it'd be a lot of fun and that a lot of people got that with this and it made two billion dollars i think it's gonna hit three in 39 days (laughs) i'm gonna say 39 days it'll hit three billion dollars how many days did it take to get to two 11. 11. So if, I'm, if, I, if I slow it down by 50% uh, margin each week. Took 11 and then 22 more? Or no, 50% each week? Wait, yeah. did you like stat this out? I just kind of roughed it in my head. Because <laughs> 11 days, so if it made a billion in like three days. No, it made a billion in four days. And then it took another seven days to hit the next billion. So that's, that's, that's almost the same margin of time. So four plus three is, is that 50-ish percent. And then uh, 11 days by that margin would be like roughly six or five, depending on how you look at it. So, ooh, it could actually be like 32 days. That'd be awesome. Either way, I'm going to say 39. 39 is my safety number. 
Go with 35. Split the difference. Okay, 35 days, $3 billion. You heard it here first from some guy that knows nothing about box office or math. <laughs> uh, so what else What else we got besides a beautiful box office and an incredible slate from Disney? So if you are trying to dive back into Endgame over and over again and figure out everything about it and what they were thinking when they made it, it has been a good couple of weeks for mm-hmm. you because we have about 100 interviews with the filmmakers that are starting to come out, revealing a bunch of great behind-the-scenes information about the movies and also some... Maybe surprising uh, contradictions in that. Yeah. Can we talk about this? Writers and directors not agreeing on a very key plot point is a first for me, I think. Uh, also, usually things aren't as dense as those two thoughts, so it's less common than ever. But well, they, they agree completely the, disagree about it. It is, it is fascinating because, okay, we should, we should set this up for folks. Uh, obviously, endgame spoilers. Just in case. <laughs> Uh, so the, one of, one of the big questions many of us came out with, uh, and it's not, it doesn't feel like an important question when you're watching the movie because the emotional truth of what's happening is clearly what's foremost. Uh, but you're watching a time travel movie that deals with branching timelines and, and all of these questions. And it ends with one character going back to get the life he never had. Uh, and Steve goes back to be with Peggy and lives out his life in some fashion and then returns to us, the movie-watching public, uh, as a happy old man with a full Captain America shield and a wedding band. So, in the middle, where did he go? Has he been secretly living in everything we've seen in Marvel, like as Peggy's, like, you know, piece at home? Uh, Very happy homemaking piece at home? Uh, Or... Did he create an alternate timeline and then somehow travel back to this one of the sort that we saw when the Ancient One demonstrated the idea of timelines, except not the kind that the world ends because it's not missing an Infinity Stone? I'm team writer. I think it's the same timeline. Okay, walk that out because we heard essentially two different things from the directing team and the writing team on this. For the directing team seemed to be saying it's an alternate timeline, a timeline a la the explanation of the Ancient One. But to me, since he brought the correct Infinity Stone back to that timeline, it is that timeline again because everything has been restored. Remember when Banner slides it back over, it restores the timeline. He brought the thing back. That timeline's restored. He's living in our timeline. So yes, that means there is a point where there are two. There are there's a frozen Cap and a thawed Cap. That means there is a point where Cap is watching his himself doing whatever jazz is happening in New York where he's at home and tucked in and, and 70. I think he waited for time to catch up and knew where to be at that bench because he was there before and had been sitting there for 30 minutes Forrest Gumpin, you know? Like, I feel like he was just hanging out. So, to me, it's the same timeline, not an alternate timeline. He went back in time and there were two caps in that world. It's what I have tended to assume, but... Now I don't know what to believe because apparently an alternate theory is very, very possible. And there are, as many people have pointed out, it's strange to think about Steve going back in our timeline and, like, whether he could ever sit quietly when people need – whether he could truly retire while, like, there are still people needing help out He there. sacrificed so much. He for like did. For, 10, for 11 of our years and for 70 of his. And he's still Steve. But you know he's doing stuff around the neighborhood. You know he's helping. And you know he knows that his – Alpha, uh, whatever, um, Earth One self is going to be handling stuff. Like, he knows how it works out because he lived it. Like, he saw Cap handling his business on TV and he's like, there there I go, doing great work. Like, I feel like he knows how it shakes out, so it's fine. And how does this, have you rewatched Winter Soldier since this came out? Because I have not. I have not since this week. So we have to rewatch the Peggy scenes. Yeah. And see exactly how this plays out to see whether this 
makes sense. We also need to rewatch Agent Carter where he's at home. And, like, and we, uh, what terrible suffering we have as fans the Russos, we need to revisit these things <laughs> that we loved the first time. The Russos not only reinvented the sequel, they're reinvented rewatches because now we're actually experiencing movies anew in a way that could not have existed before. Like what? A, Back to the Future does a great thing where you revisit the movie, but this is revisiting other movies. So my, my other question is that the, the, the idea of branching dimensions based on uh, choices uh, is both brought up and like there there's two ways you can read that ancient one scene. She says the stones create the flow of time mm-hmm. um, and then models how taking one out creates a not good timeline and putting it back restores it, um, which is awesome. But it can be read either as saying that like a particularly important change, like taking the rock out, means that obviously things proceed with only five out of six stones, and that's bad news for that dimension. Putting the stones back prevents the timeline from falling apart in that way. But you could read that as both confirming and not confirming the idea that other changes also create branches. And that goes to my big timeline question from Endgame, which is, is there a version of 2014 out there that doesn't have a Thanos in it anymore and is probably just way better? But they address the butterfly effect concept with if you go back and change something, it doesn't affect the present because when they kill Nebula, Nebula 2019 doesn't go away. Right. So but is that because like there's that 2014 has its own 2019 somewhere? I think that it's a lo- – I'm seeing time as a location. You visit a time and it's tangible to then. It's Because they, they say that your past is now your present and your present is now your past, right? Mm-hmm. So if you leap to the past and live in that space, that is your current present. So anything you do there is affecting that timeline because it's more like a location. So I don't think that 2014 would be missing a Thanos necessarily because it never had one. So once Thanos didn't exist, that's a different space. So it would carry on without a Thanos as if untouched because it's a different – so there is a world is that a proceeded from 2014 Thanos list. Yes. That sounds way better. It, I mean, it does. I mean, there's certain – I almost made a political statement. I'm not going to. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, th- that, I think that's the way the butterfly effect – We wish we could make changes. Yeah, that's yeah. all. Uh, so I think there's definitely that aspect of it, that, that perspective. Something about a podcast makes me want to say things I don't say on air, and I'm definitely – like, it's funny 20 minutes in that it's like I'm very aware of, like, chaos. <laughs> so, There's a freedom to a lack of video that is very – I have to be aware of that Thank going you for forward. joining us on our inaugural, inaugural podcast as we all figure out how this works. <laughs> uh, because this is actually just how Koi and I talk all the time Yeah, this anyway. feels way more like Amy and I talking, and so it's, like, very unnerving to be like, can't say that forever. <laughs> uh so we did. We got a ton of insight into their choices. My one, of, I think my favorite thing I learned this week was how Anthony Mackie found out. Oh, my God. I love that quote. Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> if you haven't seen this, you have to go look up uh, the where he describes or, or a transcription or whatever um, of Anthony Mackie finding out about what – and when we talked movie slates, we did not talk this at all. Okay. And give spoilers. Again. <laughs> Is there going to be another solo Captain America movie for the new Captain America, Sam Wilson? Or are they just going to hand him that shield and then for, like put him in the storage? The eight hours, the eight hour show is going to answer that. Like, I, whether or not, how that ends is going to answer that. I mean, like, are it's you not, sure? It's because not it's not in the gap. I think it's it gonna, can't be in the gap. Bucky got snapped. Right. Okay. It's not in the gap. It's it's in the present, and I think the how that ends they is going to. They both gonna, got snapped. Yeah, they they were both gone for five years. Yeah, they're, they're okay. the same age. As 2014 themselves. So I think the show is going to answer whether or not we get a movie. And I love that we have eight hours with New Cap yes. instead of two. Very excited. 
Uh, I guess, it, yeah, it, it could be Captain America and Bucky, but it's Sam and Bucky. But do they go Nick Spencer? Like, do they do that run? Do they lean into that movie where it's like, I mean, that's a very politically charged film. That'd be, that would be arguably be Marvel's most politically charged film if they do the Nick Spencer run. And you mean TV series. Um, no, I'm saying that's a movie after. Because oh. Winter Soldier is not a big part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Winter yeah, Soldier is yeah, not yeah, big yeah. in the next run. I'm saying do the Cap movie, like Cap 4, effectively be that political movie. Uh, interesting. But, I, I mean, I don't know that we are ready for any kind of secret empire. Uh, and we also don't have our 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 traditional Steve to be part of I don't think you'd it. need that. I don't think you need – I mean I think Secret Empire is a very fascinating – we nod to it. But I don't think you need uh, – just like Civil War, you didn't need – the Sokovia Accord stood in for a lot of stuff. You didn't yeah. need the explosion with – you didn't need Speedball didn't at need all. Stanford, like yeah. there's a lot of that stuff where the catalyst doesn't have to affect the story. The catalyst of Secret Empire isn't the story of, of Nick Spencer's run. That's the side effect. Okay. So for okay. me, it's about like how America treats you know Cap as the new Cap. So that would be the movie for me. And, I mean, we know that they can handle that stuff as long as they get Black Panther-quality talents to work on it. Exactly. Uh, and they have, you know, it might be, it'll be curious to see whether they have as much courage with stuff that's actually about America as they do with about stuff with stuff abroad. But so far, they've, like, they've handled that pretty well in the films. They've been bold um, and they've made choices. And the end of the movie is certainly making a statement. And I think that, I, that that's oh, where wait, I wait, want wait, we didn't tell the actual story. Oh, so the actual Anthony story. Mackie was like hanging out with Chris Evans. And so, okay, the movie making process, I got to say, as an actor, the movie making process for this sounds completely insane. I, I can't imagine how, acting in this movie. I can't imagine how anyone functioned. Uh, because you don't, do you, how do you know what to do with your face if you don't know what's happening? I know that you trust in your amazing collaborators and that that trust has been rewarded with a wonderful product mm-hmm. and it's just a very unusual method uh the 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 treat the the funeral is a wedding story that Brilliant. sebastian stan told that's insane that's insane mm-hmm. i i can't i can't process it uh but anthony mackie hanging out with chris evans and chris evans is like so what do you think about what happens and anthony mackie's like what are you talking about <laughs> And Chris Evans goes, apparently, gets the script, sits down, shows it to Anthony Mackie, who reads through it, and then, quote, something like, we we talked, we laughed, we drank, uh, and, and I'm so glad I got to find out in that way. Like, oh. Chris what? Evans is Captain America so much that he actually passed the shield. Yes. In this case, the shield was a script, but the metaphor is so strong. I love that Chris Evans is Cap. Like, to me, Captain America was perfectly cast because that man is just goodness. I love that story. I would. Uh, can you imagine that emotion? That like that amount of just pure good that was shared. And uh, Anthony Mackie followed it up with talking about what it would mean for him, for his family, like to take on this. So I will say, like Marvel, don't leave that hanging. Don't you can, do not get to like be like, cool, we gestured at it, and now that's done. Be I like, no, 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 carry that forward. Disney Plus is going to be very important for what filmmaking is. I mean, this is an eight-hour movie we're getting. Like people like. Movies in their traditional sense, I, I said before, are gone. Like, we, we just had a three-hour endgame. It's not the first three-hour movie, by all means, but it made $2 billion. We've had lots of three-hour movies. But movies don't have to be 90 to 120 minutes anymore. Like, the, the TV shows that are bingeable are effectively eight-hour movies. This old guard of 120 minutes, is, is that's not the case anymore. Everything's variable. We're getting an eight-hour Winter Soldier Bucky movie. It is as if old-school TV and old-school movies both looked at BBC and went, let's meet in the middle. <laughs> that looks nice. <laughs> And that, that that's great. Like we're, we Your all length, win. our budgets. Let's do this. Right. And like the the Daredevil show is is 
I think, better than any single movie property. Like, 13 Hours with Daredevil is an incredible adventure. Can I hop around uh, with that as a weird segue? <laughs> I wrote down a bunch of notes, and now I'm going to ignore them and go flying Podcast, into a later guys. part of this. Chaos. Uh, which is, speaking of Daredevil as a transitionary uh, topic, how about that Hulu Dark Universe how about of that? Marvel? Ghost Rider, not just Ghost Rider, but specifically ABC's Ghost Rider, which I have a number of questions about. <laughs> and friggin' Damon Hellstrom? Yes. We're getting a dark universe. And that, I mean, that's how you do Blade, right? I guess. I mean, I would take a Wesley Snipes show or a new Blade, but I want Wesley Snipes back. I would take that in a second, and that's how you bring him in. So we had many times talked about characters they could add to the Netflix tone, and we often talked about taking it into a supernatural direction because they made natural companion pieces for the street-level shows that that we had for those corners of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems like we're both getting that and not getting that because we, we got – uh, first of all, we did also get the tease for the final season of Jessica Jones, yes. uh, which we are still is still in our future. Uh, so I'm excited we get more of that. But in the meantime, the torch is clearly passing to Hulu, uh, the streaming service with which Disney now owns a majority stake in, um, which is already home to some of our favorite Marvel shows, uh, and is going to be adding that supernatural corner that we had talked about, like the, all this this Spirits of Vengeance, Midnight Suns, all this territory is clearly fertile territory for Ghost Rider now. I I guess they can't do this. I just got really excited and then unexcited again because I was like, obviously, Damon Hellstrom is Patsy Walker's ex. Oh, but that's Netflix. I'm so sad The Netflix universe being dead hurts me all the time because there's always new news. Like, for example, the Jessica Jones teaser we got. Jessica Jones is coming out and that that universe is dead. It's so hard to have this, like, final goodbye again after I've already mourned. (laughs) Like, I'm excited for Jessica Jones season three, but knowing that the end hurts me. That's kind of all. It's real sad. It's real sad, you guys. That's all we got. That's that's I all mean, the news for Netflix. We are we are all we've been hearing separately that a lot of Netflix shows aren't going past two or three these days because yeah. it's got something to do with their model. So maybe this was all we were going to get anyway. But it seems like it should have been very possible. To- I have heard some things about the way the Netflix has season four shaped, and it's a bummer because that's apparently going to be what we're living with until that changes. So and and it's not like they're building the shows that way. Daredevil season four was very set up. Like, they had a very clear path they were about to take. Yeah. On to brighter news. Mm-hmm. What's our next Endgame quote? Uh, what, which one jumps out at you? I picked my favorite, which was uh, Anthony Mackie. Uh, let, me, let me get back to my note. <laughs> uh, so I think that the timeline stuff is fascinating. Uh, I definitely want to discuss... Ah, this is so tricky to have so many things open in front of me. Sorry. Uh, no, no. A giant size. I was like, Coit, look this up. Coit, look this up. <laughs> uh, oh, I love the amount of improv that Downey Jr. does because he has effectively shaped Iron Man in such a new way. Uh, the I Am Iron Man initial, the big, the birth of the MCU effectively was an improv. And I also love that the end, the thing we're holding on to is I Love You 3000 is something the Downies actually say. That's that so sweet. actually so coming from his child is such a bittersweet, like, oh my God, that's real. I, that just, that, that warmed my heart so much that the Downies are effectively, that Iron Man universe is so near and true to him. It's, it's beautiful. It was really, really good. And then, yeah, I guess we heard for the first time this week that uh, they had originally shot that uh, his final snap without a line at all. And yeah. someone was like, wait, Iron Man would say something. And they <laughs> shot – the last thing they ever shot was the I love you – I mean was the I am Iron Man moment on the Raleigh lot, which is a very small lot in Hollywood that's been around since the 20s or 30s. Like a classic Hollywood lot 
that just to me speaks so beautifully of the begin and end of the Infinity Saga. Like set a beautiful like cycle. Yeah, was wasn't it? Someone said that it was apparently right across the street from where Robert Downey had yeah, done like a- his screen test. <laughs> So L.A. is weird in that, like, small town. you can, yeah, it's a giant city, but a small town. So you can have an audition that takes you an hour and a half to get to you. But you can also have something happen where it's across the street from where your screen test was 10 years ago. That that's truly embodies this town. And it also embodies the beautiful symmetry of the universe. His first line and his last line mirroring so beautifully is just that's magic. Uh, I also, the implication the Russo said about Evans and his cap, uh, saying that Chris Evans is basically an emotional beast and he's already kind of said goodbye to his cap and that's how he lives and he, he lives and breathes through emotion, which definitely you can read with Chris Evans. Like, he seems like the best. Uh, and the way he said goodbye to Cap feels very final. So I don't think we'll get any alternate universe Cap stuff. I don't think we'll see Chris Evans suit up in the Winter Soldier show. Um, I don't think we'll see. No, I don't think we'll see that stuff soon. Maybe in 10 years. Or... I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, if you know, like if we end up in a quasi Hugh Jackman Logan scenario where it's right. like, I'm ready to be done. I'm ready to be done. Wait, that sounds amazing. And the storyline they planted, they can do that because he's in an alternate time. Like Chris Evans can turn 50 and still play Cap. <laughs> That's the most beautiful thing about this time travel stuff is that you can have Chris Evans come back in 20 goddamn years and it still be canon and him and Peggy can be the actual ages they would be. You can actually forever tell stories about Captain America's Chris Evans and still stories about Anthony Mackie as Cap. Like, all of that works and that's what? That's that's filmmaking. That's magic. Uh, so also with the Spider-Man stuff, this multiverse thing, if it's not a lie, that opens up infinite possibilities of any character ever being able to be tied in. Mm-hmm. So what is your current, because we're all throwing around a million uh, theories with absolutely no basis, uh, on X-Men and Fantastic Four, um, and if they get in, which, in the, like, now that we've had some time to process Endgame, what's your fave, we're getting the X-Men into this theory? Uh, I mean, my most outlandish is the one I've had for ten years with Scarlet Witch. Uh, I love the idea that she brings mutants into reality with her chaos magic. I love the idea that she says mutants instead of no more mutants and we we get a comic nod. It's basically like the Hail Hydra moment but for geeks. Like imagine if she brings mutants in. So that's my that's my no way is it ever going to happen. But my logical way of it happening is if the Spider-Man thing is true and it tore a hole in the universe, we get a dimension where X-Men exists. Like we just bring in the X-Men. And the beautiful thing about bringing in another dimension of characters is – you can still have Magneto be a Holocaust survivor because mm-hmm. the timelines are now crossed. You could actually have him be from the 40s and him be the right age now without oh, sacrificing. so what you're saying is that they can essentially – okay. Uh, comic book fans, uh, help to tweet at the non-comic book fans to make sure that what I'm saying makes sense to them. <laughs> Here is what I think Koi is proposing. I think Koi is proposing a Marvel strategy that parallels DC's – incredibly successful sort of record-breaking and foundation-setting Silver Age, which says essentially a bunch of stuff already happened and existed in World War II and it was on a separate Earth called Earth 2. What you're saying is that Marvel can have its own version of DC's Earth 2, follow me on this, where we've often discussed how the Fantastic Four works great as a period piece, if you can pull it off. Correct. Uh, and you're suggesting that the X-Men also can... Uh, we've seen them work great as a period piece. First mm-hmm. Class was wonderful. Uh, 
And they have many roots that tie them to the 60s. Magneto has roots that tie him to a certain place in time. You're saying maybe all that stuff is happening, and because of timeline shenanigans, then we're pulling essentially a Bendis' all-new X-Men if we land them all in the regular Marvel Universe, except without grown-up versions of themselves. Exactly. A world that hates and fears them. You keep your Holocaust parallels. You keep all of the hate. You keep everything that makes the X-Men unique. And you get Fantastic Four that are from the time. Every person in those casts is now time-displaced? Yes. And landing in a universe where, as we've already discussed, everybody has a weird five-year gap where half of them were dead. Are you ready for this? Every single person in the MCU now is time-displaced because they're either five years too young or five years too old. Yeah. Are you sure that we are not? We're reproducing all of the conditions that make it so hard for you and me, Corey, to get people into comics. You're also talking to the guy that's like... like, You have to understand (laughs) they were from an alternate Earth and everybody's five years too young or too old, but those guys are from the 50s. They've already done it. (laughs) <laughs> they did. That's what they did. It's they did happened. It five minutes ago, they've Corey. done this. This is already existing. But that's what I'm saying is we're 11 years into a franchise where they have you have to accept the five year gap. Why not lean into that bigger? Why not have the X Men be from a time that the Holocaust parallels work? Why not have that be from a time where all the metaphors that the X Men were invented from work? Because the X Men metaphors are timeless. There's always going to be people that are hated for no and reason. Unfortunately, There's... it does not lose relevance. And and that's the that, that's why the characters are so important. The X Men are so important because it's about acceptance. It's about not judging people by how they look it's about not like proliferating refugee concepts it's about all of those things which are sadly timeless yeah but what's more digestible than having those things be from another time so you're not being you're not gonna have people being like oh that's outlandish it's from the time where we've already seen the history so tying in the fantastic four to the 60s tying in the x-men to the 60s and 70s and not having that not be canon I'm I'm revolving it. You might win me over. You might win me over. I've had a lot my of big ideas today. It's a podcast. Is, my first instinct is that it's it's too much and we want to see them just integrated in this universe going forward. Uh, my thing with uh, – and this – look, I'm sure this wasn't – I'm pretty sure that this is not the case. But I, it did occur to me that uh, many people have floated the idea that, like, we've just had a large planetary scale alteration of people in terms of five of them turned – or half of them turned into dust for five years and have just come back. Uh, now, one theory that people are floating, which I think has some merit to it, is the idea that, like, maybe when they come back, some portion of the brought back populace is going to have active X genes who didn't before. Now, uh, one thing that I find interesting about that – Potentially, I don't see a lot of corporate signs that this is what they're building to, and they also legally couldn't have been doing that. But who brought the people back? Was it somebody who's already had his own mutations because of gamma irradiation? Could we be constructing a universe where Hulk is essentially the proto-mutant in the way that Apocalypse or Namor are for the comic book universes? He is mutated, yeah. It's it's not the same kind of mutation, but it's all sort of – I mean, look, I love the X-Men, but it's all kind of slipshod science that gets oh. redefined every couple of years as they need it to. And there is some interesting atomic age crossover. Like Hulk is an atomic age cautionary tale, and so are many – like the X-Men are the children of the atom. What if both can exist? <laughs> what if there's time displacement to have our original team, and what if we have the giant size team exist in our timeline? What if there's even a bigger disparity between the classic universe where X-Men exist in the 60s and mutant genes get activated now so the X-Men have to meet and that's how we get our big team? Because the, the, uh, the Colossus Storm now, team— Now, do, do we assume— Okay, so the Eternals are often associated with gene tampering, like with sure. the, the, the Eternals and the Deviants and the Inhumans, and it's all tied together with constantly evolving Marvel Cosmic stuff. 
do we think that the Eternals movie is going to explain like we laced all this stuff into people's genes or I think is that it makes connected? them inhumans and that would that would be that would upset X Men fans. Okay. Because the okay. inhumans and, and X Men have to be different. Yeah. Otherwise you're you're messing with continuity. It is that's... unclear how much of uh, ABC and Shield, which by the way, new trailer this week. Um we are gonna run out of time for things. Yeah. Uh, but uh it's it's unclear to me how much of what they've done with the inhumans is going to continue to be canon for the MCU. And that's tricky because Agents of Shield is canon for the MCU. So it's they're dealing I, I do not envy Kevin Feige or Jeff Loeb when it comes to that continuity conversation. But I do think that it's possible to have it all resolved enough because it's comics and time travel. Like at this point you can quietly retcon, quietly reintroduce all those things like the comics do. But I I can't get this out of my head. What if what if Krakoa is more about time than space? Like, when they have to rescue the X-Men, what if it's rescuing them from a time situation instead of a space situation? Like, what if the X-Men are... Like, what if the original team is from a different time and we're introduced to the... the oh, man, I want to I wanna know what they're doing. <laughs> we just want... See, and then you're trying to convince me to wait for surprise releases yes! every year. I will physically then die. it's exciting. <laughs> then it's new, and then every time we get a trailer, it's an event. I want event trailers again. One, one thing I do love is that we can trust, as much as we want to dig into every wonky detail of timelines and science, and uh, detailed fake science and detailed fake time. Uh, we we want all of that to be done with care and in a rewarding way, and we can trust that they will pay attention to a certain extent to that stuff, whether or not they decide what happens when Cap goes back in time. Clearly not their highest priority. But we know that they approach these characters and these this material with care. So we know that if and when they get around to making X-Men, they're going to look at the core concepts that really matter from the team. They're going to look at the ideas Koi was talking about, fighting to protect a world that fears and hates you. Uh, they're going to find... I can see arguments both ways. Like, I love, I do love period pieces. First Class made me happy, like, in a lot of senses for the reasons that it got to play around with that material. But I also think you can make a very relevant, very modern mutant story. Sure. Uh, so I'm, we're all fascinated to find out where they're going with that. And um, I would argue Reed Richards is going to be our next Iron Man. I would argue that we need a guy that's a brilliant leader that is also family-oriented, that is also someone that is suffering for his art. Like, he ruined his family. He did all the things that, like, Iron Man's beauty was that he was a billionaire, genius, playboy, philanthropist, <laughs> philanthropist that was broken. Like, he realized the error in his ways. Reed Richards destroyed his family and loves them so much. I think the best character to take the mantle, quote-unquote, of Iron Man is Reed Richards. I think that should be the new person that takes that kind of spot in the MCU. Mm -hmm. So I'd bring in Fantastic Four as soon as possible. Like, John Krasinski is, is my guy, and I think he has the pathos. But even if it's not, like, casting-wise, the character of Reed Richards isn't Marvel's first family for no reason. He embodies that core that we need now that we've lost Downey. I think there's a lot of ways that they can go with that. Because I love, like, Reed is a great leader and he's relevant to the rest of them, but what he means to the rest of his team is really what's most important there. Mm -hmm. um, he's more, like, he's a resource for everybody else, but it's a little more Dr. Strangey, where, like, his connection to his own material and the way other people can lean on and come to him, but he's always going to be sort of, like, he's not going to run out and lead the Avengers. Right. Um, he's but, got other priorities. And I like that because I don't want a giant team. Like, I, I think smaller but still a team. Like, smaller movies. Not We can't have Endgame happen every five years. It's not possible. <laughs> so I think, like, Reed Richards is going to be the spectacle we want, but it's also we're going to have all the heart because of the family. Okay. Uh, what do you want to get into next? Let's see here. My phone keeps locking. <laughs> we did, uh, under movie news, there's not a ton else uh, this week so far, except we got some just rumors at this time, but rumors that we might have a slightly longer wait uh, for Batman over at DC, that they're doing some script changes. Yep. This is normal. 
Uh, uh, let's get into the comics because okay. that's, that's a rumor, and we, we we usually are just like we acknowledge them. We don't yeah. once we have facts, we'll lean into Batman more. But for now, uh, so our comic pull list, which we showed you guys on Tuesday uh, or or Wednesday, depending on we we're in the future and the past simultaneously. We're in the <laughs> end game now. We're charting it out. Uh, but we revealed our already established pull list and we're trying to get that to you guys before you go to the comic store on Wednesday so the idea is if you get that on Tuesday you can bring it with you to the store or early Wednesday morning bring you uh, our list with you and then Thursdays you want to break them down buy them digital. I mean that's totally an option and then on Thursdays right now you can go over them with us after you've already read them so uh, we had War of the Realms New Agents of Atlas number one Flash number 70 which is year one part one Marvel's annotated number three Spider-Man Deadpool 50 and Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number six now your first two are the top two picks what uh what do you want to say about them so we had talked about war of the realms and how excited i am because the uh the combination like a creator that i love is using uh, a a bunch of characters that i love that he put together earlier and is having an excuse to bring them back and, and expand on that chemistry and add new things to the mix and create new exciting characters uh there's a new filipina hero called wave that i think lionel you helped design mm-hmm. uh and uh using, again, just to add to the cake of deliciousness that is this book, uh, using one of my very favorite titles, The Agents of Atlas, are a recurring wonderful title. Uh, Jeff Parker did a run I really, really loved several years ago, uh, which is usually like Jimmy Woo and a bunch of 50s weirdos is the usual formula for The Agents of Atlas. Uh, And I love them very, very much. It's always a different team, but it's always fun. And it's sort of like, like old school Defenders, where it's just like nobody's first choice, but just like the deeply loved B team. Sorry, old school defenders, you have some of the best characters ever on you. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it, that's that was like the beauty of the Marvel Universe. Is it's such a deep bench that you've got the champions, the old champions, and now the new champions, the defenders, the old defenders, the new TV defenders. Like you've got. So much wonderful, fertile territory. Uh, I love that the War of the Realms, uh, the big Asgardian like invasion of, of Thor threats all to every dimension is what's happening. Uh, it is the War of the Realms, and it is giving rise to fun little books like New Agents of Atlas. Uh, read it. It looks great. I'm very excited. And I have to chime in while we're on War of the Realms that the main title is so much fun. I love seeing Spider-Man interact with Asgardians. I love Punisher in a dark elf disguised hunting down people. I love how... <laughs> they did the Game of Thrones Marvel and it's and it's been building for 10 years Jason Aaron's been building the story for so long and not only is the main title great but the side books are so much fun and I really I've been oh, really enjoying got, this event Coy, we just got a new uh, like I got confirmation that uh, one of my favorite Twitter people is writing a Hulkling Wiccan story uh, yes. for one of the tie-ins uh, I might, I'm flipping out that is fantastic uh, uh, it, it very you know my, my friends the McElroys uh, or my friend Travis and oh, his family yeah. uh, they are currently doing Journey into Mystery. No. They're doing Journey into Mystery. They got Kate Bishop. They got Miles Morales. They just got this really fun team. Uh, yes. It is sold the heck out, but there's a second print coming soon, so get down on that. Uh, number two of that one, I think, also hits this week. So I don't know, Travis, but I'm one of the only two people that have substituted for him on one of his podcasts, because I'm good oh. friends with Tybee. So Tybee and Travis did a podcast. I never met him. He couldn't make one week, so I subbed in. So my other first podcast, besides this, was in lieu of Travis. You're so like extended McElroy yeah, family. I'm like, I know the McElroys by being like, hello, I'll do this podcast. That's that's amazing. Congratulations. If when you're listening to this, Travis, congratulations. <laughs> 
Uh, so, yeah, I have lots of reasons I'm excited about War of the Realms and Ages of Atlas. You heard about it before. I also picked Flash number 70 because they're doing uh, – Josh Williamson has now been on that book for a good long while. Uh, and as people often like to do, every couple of years you go back and retell Origins. Uh, so at, as of the time we're recording this, I haven't had a chance to read uh, any – like I haven't seen previews or anything for this. But it does seem like one worth flagging for everybody because Flash issue 70 is beginning year one. Uh, I mean, okay, I lie. I did read. There's a preview you can all read at previewsworld.com, which just shows us Howard Porter and Josh Williamson doing iconic moments from Barry's life. And they're going to retell the how it all began of it all, which is great because as a retailer, you constantly have people coming in being like, where do I start? What establishes the basics? And it's been incredible over the last several years to go from a whole lot of people not knowing who Flash was to basically everyone walking in knowing who Flash is. And can we just talk about that? That has been an amazing experience. Seeing the popularity of Flash, like, exponentially increase has been beautiful (laughs) because the show is great. It's not like it's undeserved. And the character is fantastic and has been forever. And uh, and a Collider Heroes first, I literally just added a pull list to my pull list in this moment because of of Amy's pitch. That that (laughs) I actually just, a while on this show, put Flash 70 in my to read. Uh, (laughs) So that just happened because I didn't know the extent of what the year one was going to be. So now I am fully in. I am invested. I have joined you, dear viewer, as a... I will now pull this. Okay, your uh, turn, Corey. Tell uh, me. So I got Marvel's Annotated number three. If you're not reading Marvel's Annotated, you are missing out on a reinvention of some of the most powerful Marvel books of all time. Marvel's was a book wherein they reimagined stories, the classic Marvel stories from the 60s, in a way that you were watching it from the perspective of a, a day-to-day person in New York. So you're actually the eyeline of someone in New York looking up at these gods of, of comics fighting above you. You are from the perspective of newsmen. You are from the perspective of the day-to-day. So it's very much a beautiful nod to what the MCU has become because you're watching it from the eyes that you'd be watching it with. And to be honest, Marvel's is so good that whenever I go to New York, I see frames. When I look up in the sky, I remember moments of Marvels from when I read them as a kid. So this is a reintroduction to Marvels. It's the annotated, so it's all of the stuff, the original books, as beautifully illustrated by Alex Ross, as amazingly written by Kurt Busiek. But at the end of them, it has a a cheat sheet of what panel this reflects, where this comes from, what reference this is, how this ties into the Marvel Universe. So you are instantly as knowledgeable as anyone that is a a Marvel scholar by reading this annotated book. So it is a great way to understand Marvel mythology. It is a beautiful book that is full of charm and fantastic art and it's kind of the, the the now that's what i call marvel it's like a great summation of greatest <laughs> hits it's it's beautiful so marvel's annotated it's its own handbook yes it's it's magic uh and then next up i had spider-man deadpool number 50 this run i can't believe it's at issue 50 i cannot believe a book i only dreamed of as a child not only got a number one it got a number 50 uh, marvel's answer to Spider-Man in the 90s became Deadpool. They kind of smashed Spider-Man and Wolverine together and Deadpool happened. And then to have them lean into that speaks to how good of a character Deadpool is. And then to have Marvel lean into that by giving them their own title speaks to how confident they are in these two characters. The writers they put on these books had been everyone from Joe Kelly, who was largely responsible for Deadpool's fourth wall breaking insanity. Absolutely. Christopher Priest went. Oh, so Christopher Priest jumped on the book and he wasn't sure of the character's voice to the point that he broke the fourth wall by having Deadpool throw out a bag that had written on it everything that Kelly did write on this book. He threw out the bag of good ideas. That's how Priest You're broke the fourth wall. You're talking classic Deadpool. Classic Deadpool. Yeah. So then Kelly is given credit for all of the insanity and Priest isn't a brilliant writer on Deadpool as well. But 
but I love that Priest was like Kelly Divine designed like the character I'm leaning into now. So I think Liefeld deserves a lot of credit for creating him. Kelly deserves a lot of credit for recreating him. So Kelly came back after a decade of not being on Deadpool and wrote a story where Deadpool and Spider-Man voices are so unique but so funny. It's like watching a masterclass in SNL. It's like Chevy Chase era SNL. It is gold. It, like, the first arc ends in a dirty dancing reference. It is <laughs> magic. Valkyrie, uh, not Valkyrie, Jane Foster Thor shows up and is a very important part. There's a double date with Jane Foster Thor. Um, the art is Ed McGinnis, who is one of my favorite artists of all time. I love Spider-Man Deadpool so, so much that when I have a, a job that will allow it, I'm getting the uh, cover of issue number one tattooed in my forearm. Uh, it's the background of my phone. It is a tattoo I've wanted for five years because they're at issue 50. This book means the world to me. So it is ending before it wears out its welcome. Paul Shear has also jumped on this book a few times. If you don't know Paul Shear, he's, he's one of your favorite comedians. You don't know his name. Uh, he's in everything. Paul Shear is amazing, and this book is ending on a high note. I'm I want to read the description of issue 50. Uh, it's being brought home by Robbie Thompson, uh, yes. a wonderful writer who's Meet the Scrolls right now is Fantastic. so good. Uh, but uh, So Jim Tao, Matt Horak are doing the art. Dave Johnson did this wonderful cover. Here's the description of Spider-Man Deadpool 50. The biggest climax of the biggest Marvel event of all time. An epic 50th issue guaranteed to blow your socks off. Read with extra socks! That's in all caps. <laughs> Spider-Man and Deadpool fight the manipulator for the fate of the entire Marvel Universe. More shouting. I hope they pull it off! I really like this universe. I'm so worried. Rated T plus and shocked me. I also have to say that completely summarizes the arc they've been leaving up to. They invented an event comic that never existed and they have old school 90s plugs saying, please read this spinoff that doesn't exist. This entire last arc is about an event that never actually happened. It's fantastic. Also, so that's- the, uh, the, the big... Uh, climax here. This the cover is my spidey sense is tingling as the specter of death hovers behind them, and Deadpool says, "Come on, webs, we made it to issue fifty. What could possibly go wrong?" And it ends. So it's it's really magic how long this book lasts and how good it's been. And then finally, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man number six. Tom Taylor, everybody. Tom Taylor. Can I just say, Tom Taylor Taylor has written some of my favorite modern Marvel stories, period, and the way he's handling Spider-Man is exactly Friendly Neighborhood. It is truly, like, you meet Spider-Man's neighbors. He killed half the DC Universe last week, and this week he is here to make you fall in love with someone's neighbors. What... Who are you, Tom He's Taylor? just so powerful, and I love the art in this book. Uh, Juan Cabal, I didn't know before this book, and the, the the line work is so beautiful. It's so earnest. It's so honest. It's so Spider-Man. The comedy makes me laugh out loud. I can't read this book in public because I embarrass myself. This is one of those <laughs> books that I only read at home because I'm ashamed it's scoffing in public. I'm like, it's bad. So pick out Friendly Neighborhood because it makes me embarrassed in public. It's that good. <laughs> That's the strongest pitch I have for a book. I embarrass myself reading it. Wonderful. So those are our picks for this week. Please tweet us your picks. By the way, our favorite thing is when you send us pictures of the books that you just bought. Yes. And talk about how excited you are to get into comics. Uh, and tag the creators. Uh, they love seeing that. I only love... with the good stuff. Yeah, only yeah. with the good stuff. If you like something, let them know. If you don't like something, then, you know, that's something you didn't enjoy, but it's not on them. So, <laughs> but but let, let creators know you're reading their books because it really, like, it, it helps. Like, it's such a hard job being a comic writer or artist or anchor or what have you. Yeah. They've, they've often talked about how, like, comic book artists feel very solitary and then they go out into the world and it's like, you, you know, they, they don't always get to hear from the thousands of people whose lives they're changing with their stories. Uh, so be part of the good memories that they make. Yeah. Uh, we we got a little the more the, all kinds of stuff happened this week. We got some teasers of Watchmen. We're all very excited about. We obviously got that Jessica Jones teaser. Uh, we got oh, while we're in comic book news, I promised we would get into this. 
we you want to go to comicsbeat.com and check out their reporting on all right, stay stay with me here. Mm-hmm. The ICV2 and Comicron, uh, those are two different long-running sort of research arms mm-hmm. um, that have collaborated to produce an annual report. Uh, that, as best they can, talks about comics and graphic novel sales and the size of the market. And the good news is, y'all, it is over a, like, North American comic and graphic novel sales alone are an over-billion-dollar market. Yes. They Billion with a B. Officially came in, uh, abo- like, they had had five up years, and then last year was kind of a weird dip. And everybody was like, what is that about? We had five <laughs> up years. What's going on? Uh, and this year came back... Basically just eking ahead of two years ago, which makes last year look like a fluke. Just one of those things. Uh, Now, a lot of that growth we're seeing in bookstores and libraries and book market and collections. uh, But it is is really healthy growth. Yeah. Uh, It is one of the only parts of the publishing sector sector showing growth like this. Um, You can and should go look up that report because they break it down. They break down digital they break down trades. They break down single issues. They've added categories for Kickstarter, which is That's now so a pretty cool. serious funding source for a lot of things. Uh, they are doing their best to work with the numbers that we have uh, and the diamond numbers. This was, I think, the first year that comic shops themselves are comprising less than half of the market. To me, that's not scary because the overall number is growing. It's not bad for us that bookstores sold a bunch more comics than they did before. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, And we, like comic stores, if if they had fallen off from last year, if it had been like, and now comic shops nosedive, that would be scary. But that's not what we saw. Basically, it stayed stable to last year at shops and, like, went way up in other markets. And those other markets are all going to feed each other as comic book fans and kids get into comics. Uh, so I'm really excited about It's this. amazing. Comics are such a beautiful art. They're literally literature plus art. That's yeah. such a beautiful medium. Like so It's why we're all here. It's why you're listening right now. So please, however you can, however much money you have, like whatever you can do as a person supporting comics, keep buying them because it's working. It's a growth market. These movies are making a billion in a, four days, and it's not, not reflecting in the paper. So like I love that the actual tangible comics are doing well, or digital, however you buy them. But I love that comics are still growing as the market of comic movies grows. That, that fills our hearts. Thank you. Now, weirdly, like, digital is growing, but not as fast as I expected, where, like, I figured it'd be doubling year on year as yeah. more people find out about things. And it looks like it's it's absolutely growing, uh, but I'm, I am curious, sort of, over these last years of seeing which formats people go to, it seems like people are still interested in picking up books. Tell that. I mean, I, I read digital when it's books. I don't have space to collect, but mm-hmm. I need to know the story. But if I if I have the space it's the character I love, I like picking up books. <laughs> uh, now, I also, reading without your eyes burning from staring at a phone all day is lovely. Uh, we should get into them Twitter questions. I believe. Absolutely. Uh, let's, let's get to... Now, guys, this is our new format, so bear with us. As you can tell from this episode, we've been shaking out some cobwebs. But I love that we have the time to talk about a comic book growth in the market because we have an hour and a half coming at you. So yeah. very happy about and it. And I do want to say, please keep sending these Twitter questions. They make us so happy. Use hashtag Collider Heroes. Uh, we got some good ones this week. Y'all were very Marvel heavy this week, so send us those DC questions too. Uh, Twitter keys, Derek Richardson, at Dirk101. How would you feel, Koi, about mm. Co- Ghost coming back? and being an Avenger or perhaps creating an anti-hero group with a Donald Glover Prowler and maybe Mysterio. Hashtag Spider-Man Far From Home story pending. Hashtag Collider Heroes at Koi at Enthusiami. That was Derek Richardson. 
all you have to say at me is Donald Glover or Prowler, and I'm in. But when you say Donald Glover Prowler, I am all in. <laughs> uh, I liked Ghost, man. I thought Ghost was an incredible take on a character that wasn't very, like, a big part of the universe to me. Like, Ghost is fun, but they made Ghost really special. I love how she translated her pain into an actual, like, a viable story. Mm-hmm. Like, Ghost had a lot of pathos, a very interesting character, and I thought it was handled beautifully. So I'd, I'd like to see more of Ghost because it introduced me to a different take in the character than I had already experienced. So I, also, I love this. Derek, you may have been uh, just setting us up for this one, but you are probably or possibly aware that there is a canonical anti-hero team to put Ghost on. We could get us some Thunderbolts. Thunderbolts. And of course, we know that uh, Sam Wilson's going to be Captain America, so there's really no reason Bucky can't run a Thunderbolts team Ooh, on a D- Disney Plus series. I would series, love I'm just a Thunderbolts show. And um, I still want Tom Hanks as Norman Osborn. <laughs> Tom Hanks, Norman Osborn leading the Thunderbolt. How dare you? He'd be, because no one would expect it. Norman oh. Osborn has to be a face in the public and evil behind the scenes. You need someone that everyone loves so Come much. On, Norman American Osborn is sweetheart. obviously evil. Uh, how, does he keep, how does he keep doing what he does? I, a, we he see was, all kinds of obviously evil business people succeeding at what they do. But he gave the, a team a power. He gave a power team because he's got to have a face. He's got to have a front. I think America's sweetheart should play a villain. Uh, don't break my heart. That's not okay. I also want Tom Hanks as Lex Luthor, but that's neither here nor there. I think he See, Lex Luthor maybe more because you can get people to trust him more than like friggin norman osborne Come they on. gave him a superpowered team they clearly got trust i think norman yeah, osborne. we always place our trust in the appropriate people uh <laughs> tweets by me at perennial and sing asks declatter heroes do you think that now that thor has both mjolnir and stormbreaker if they make a thor 4 we'll meet beta ray bill i do uh, Give us Beta Ray Bill. Yes, I, I I just did a movie fight, and I said that it, it was the question was who should uh, Valkyrie team up with, and I said a buddy cop cosmic movie in space between Beta Ray Bill and Valkyrie would be my jam. So I am very team Beta Ray Bill. I think the CGI is ready for a full horse god. Oh, I broke <laughs> my heart with Beta Ray Bill with uh, with uh, Tom Hanks, and is putting it back together. <laughs> Valkyrie Beta, Beta Ray Bill. Bill, let's make it happen. Michael Blade at Michael B Writer asks, would love your opinion re Endgame. How did Captain America return the Soul Stone? And what do you think happened when he saw the Red Skull? Can this we acknowledge the Russos favorite... actually acknowledged this this week? Okay, well, what did they say? They, they had a quote. They oh, s- I missed that. They said, like, you know, there wasn't time to put it in there, but there was definitely a conversation between Captain America and Red Skull, and we definitely acknowledged it went weird. Wouldn't that be great to see? Like, the Russos straight up were like, that had to happen. Russos, give us the scene. Give us the, I want a Marvel one-shot of that scene more yes. than most things. Bring back Marvel one-shots. Make them part of Disney+. Plus. Is it not a scene? Is he just punch him in the face and just, then drop uh, the takes... soul up the cliff and, just don't, and that's <laughs> and it? just ghosts. He just like, I'm out. Uh, but they they acknowledged it. They they literally said like, man, I don't know what that would be. So can you imagine like five years down the road we get a Marvel one shot of Red Skull? This is one of my favorite things that I feel like individually occurred to every one of us after Endgame, where at some point you you sat there or woke up or like got a snack in the middle of the night and went, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> this Soul Stone. What? Uh, How did? Bleh? I have a feeling just and and returning it to the. I'm curious how literal they were about returning it to the point where it left the timeline. Like, does he have to hide off screen and watch Hawkeye and Black Widow oh fight each God. other? Oh, God. I to mean, watch his friend die? He's capable of doing that, but, like, how does Cap resist the urge to go over that cliff? I know that doesn't... It makes everything worse instead of better. This is a way... Yeah, you, now you're breaking my heart. I'm I just mean, saying this I is just, painful. They, they oh. did this to us, Corey. They did. Marvel they really did broke us in us. all new ways. Um, yeah, so I, I put this in here mostly because it's fun to ask the question. Um, I don't, I, I assume that he basically just 
brings it back. It's very unclear, as we've talked about. Like, I want to know about more about how Soul World works. I am extremely down for every version of fan theory that involves Black Widow and Gamora fighting out their way out of the Soul Stone or Black Widow running Black Ops missions for the Cosmic Forces or, like, whatever... I know we're probably never getting those things, but I'm on board for all of it because I like goofy mythology and I like comic book characters and I want those people back. Never say never. Eternal's coming out next year. It's going to be crazy, guys. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think most likely the real, quote, real answer to this was something simple, just arriving at that place and, like, returning it to its approximate place and time just did that thing and he had some brief, tense, confused exchange with the spirit of Red Skull who explained that he was now bound to eternal duty and Cap says, I'm not anymore, bye, you know? <laughs> uh, it would be an interesting... I, I want to see it. Russo's give it to us. That's it. <laughs> and our sweaty question of the week. We are So this one had a photo of Detective Comics 1000 and 1001 as well as Savage Avengers number one. Yes, send us your pictures of comics. It made us so happy. Marlon T at AZBadFishMC. Is that Arizona? I don't know. Uh, my little town got a little comic book shop again and I've been meaning to go. Echo Jondra and Enthusiami finally gave me a reason I couldn't say maybe later too. Savage, Savage Avengers is really fun. Thanks, Collider Heroes. Thank you. Thank you. For sending that, I am loving Detective Comics 1000 and 1001, and Savage Avengers is a whirlwind of a book. Gary Duggan is writing the hell out of it. I love the art. I love the writing. I love Conan and Wolverine. <laughs> like, I never even, like, somehow my brain never put together how great of a team-up that would be, and holy crap. Uh, Savage Avengers is a is gangbusters. Uh, yeah, so thank you for sending that uh, sweaty photo. This one loop. isn't even a question. I just wanted to pull it because this is what it's all about. Thank you so much to everybody who has been watching us on this journey, who is trying out this new format, who is smashing that subscribe button That's right. on Giant Size Collider Heroes. <laughs> It'll get to rolling off the tongue. It'll get there. <laughs> it's just too fun to Giant say. Giant Size Collider Heroes number one. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I've been Amy Allen. This is Coy Jandro. Thank you, guys. And until next week, as always, stay, stay sweaty. sweaty. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831.20. It's that little chico pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 